the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back. Friday, May 27th, 2022. We are live. We are here. And we look forward to hearing from you as well. There's a lot to talk about. 602-508-0960 is the number. If you'd like to weigh in on anything or add something that uh, you'd like me to weigh in on or other members of the audience, um, I will do my monologue at the top of the third hour. And uh, as we're heading into Memorial Day, I will close the show as we do, I think, every year, don't we, Bill? We try to. I'll uh, be playing uh, my version of Taps best I can uh, in uh, the close of the third hour. We'll have other versions uh, the close of the first two hours. Texas. Texas. There's a lot that hurts here. A lot that hurts. And a lot came out yesterday and a lot more came out today. Uh, Let me start here. Peggy Noonan writes, we underestimate how demoralizing these shootings are. We underestimate. I think she's right. They hurt our faith in America because why can't we handle this? And they hurt our faith in the future because what will it be like if this continues? And there's the new part of the story, she writes, that is disturbing. This sense, we've had it before, that the police reliably come to the scene, but they've got some kind of process or procedure that keeps them from fighting their way to the actual site of the shooting. Parents were massing at the school in Uvalde and screaming, go in, go in. They themselves would have and were possibly stopped. This aspect of the story, she writes, is not yet clear but you can't see the videos and not think something went very, very wrong. Yes, exactly. A lot more to say about that. Um, And it goes to a different kind of hurt, too, doesn't it, when we have been such staunch advocates in defense of the police generally, right? I mean, there is that point here that we can't ignore. We have, as a movement, been so supportive of the police. Now, you know, it's true of almost any institution, however. I know this in the education field, that the bad ones are the vast minority, but they take down the rest of the system. The bad percentage constitutes about Based on Eric Hanischik's work at Stanford, I think he's done the best work on this, about 8 to 11 percent. But that 8 to 11 percent is a multiplier force of negativity that takes down. It's, it's, it represents what the, what the negativity, what the bad actions of 8 to 11 do represents a far bigger impact than 11 percent of the institution. That's how I want to say it. Henry Olson scholar we've had on this show any number of times from the Manhattan Institute, writes, What good is law enforcement if we cannot trust it to keep Americans safe? It's a question I bet many Americans are wondering after two revelations in recent days. 
The first concerns details of the police response to the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, earlier this week. While details are still being uncovered, it appears police officers refused to confront the shooter while there was time to save lives. Instead, they spent time uh, corralling distraught parents outside the school and rejected pleas to do their jobs and storm the building, even as the students were still calling 911 from inside the classrooms. At best, they demonstrated incompetence on a massive scale. At worst, it was cowardice and refusal to fulfill their responsibility to protect the public. This is not the first time that armed law enforcement failed to protect innocent children in a school shooting, Olson writes. The school resource officer charged with protecting the students at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, decided to hide rather than confront the gunman. Seventeen people died that day. The officer has been disgraced and is facing trial, but that won't bring back the children he could have saved when it counted. The second revelation comes in the form of the Justice Department refusing to charge FBI investigators who allegedly lied and covered up information about Larry Nassar, the the doctor who sexually assaulted hundreds of young female gymnasts. You know this story, Bill, a little bit. One of the FBI agents who were accused of making false statements to other investigators and ignoring detailed evidence of Nasser's wrongdoing was fired. The other retired. But that's simply not enough. Nasser continued to assault teens after these agents learned something was amiss. Average citizens who intentionally mislead law enforcement are routinely charged with crimes. Did you know it's it's a crime to lie to a law enforcement officer? Law enforcement officials who betray their oaths and cover-up criminal behavior, should be held to an even higher standard, not a lower one. Misbehavior among law enforcement is especially egregious because the people they protect have surrendered their power to right wrongs on the expectation that officers will do the job better and more fairly. That's a pregnant sentence that I want to review with you all because it gets to the issue of whether we should have gun-free schools in the sense that they are gun-free to all but the assassin. Police have an effective legal monopoly on the use of force in dangerous situations. Imagine what their response would have been if armed parents had tried to storm the school to save their children. I don't know, actually. I don't know. Similarly, investigators and public prosecutors effectively control what charges are brought against those who break the law. When they fail to do so, the people have no recourse. When either party refuses to do their job, they need to be held accountable, full stop. Contrast the police officer's apparent cowardice, as Henry Olson, in Uvalde with the first responders on 9-11. The latter earned our gratitude. The first responders on 9-11 earned our gratitude because they knew they might be marching to their deaths as they climbed the Twin Towers to save lives. Indeed, hundreds did lose their lives that day. We mourned their sacrifice and honored them because we knew we might have succumbed to the temptation to put ourselves first. Confidence in public institutions is falling, in part because of the belief that the people within those institutions do not work for the public's benefit. Worse, many of those who exercise terrible judgments, such as the Federal Reserve governors who presided over the 2008 financial collapse and today's entirely foreseeable inflation surge, they get to keep their jobs. Anthony Fauci has kept his very high-paying job. 
Nearly a year after the devastating chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan, none of the senior military officials who presided over that catastrophe have been fired. The idea that there are two sets of rules, one for the powerful and another for the rest of the country, is gaining credence precisely because there are so many examples that it is true. By the way, I don't remember who tweeted this. Someone I follow, I guess, or someone who I follow repeated it. I don't want to hear from this administration about responsibility and guns when they left 300,000 of them to terrorists in Afghanistan. That's their vision and version of responsibility. They have nothing to offer us citizens on how to be responsible. Henry also is an aside. We can come back to that, too. The government that left 300,000 guns in the hands of Taliban and al-Qaeda. Yeah, you don't get to tell us. You don't get to tell us about gun responsibility and safety. In any event, as Henry Olson puts it, this wasn't always the case. Generals who lost important battles, such as the mauling of Allied forces at Kasserine Pass in World War II, were relieved of command because of their failures. Now the too-big-to-fail mantra that has been applied to large financial institutions seems to have morphed into too important to face the consequences for many high ranking officials. This does not mean that we should view law enforcement with contempt or defund the police. Most law enforcement officials do their jobs and put their lives on the line for us every single day like heroes of 9-11. And like the heroes of 9-11, they should be praised and deserve our respect and shielded from false and gross allegations. But those who egregiously and catastrophically fail should not be allowed to skate by on other people's bravery back the blue is a good slogan but we should only back the true blue the people who fulfill their oaths and deserve our respect i start that's henry olson i start with the notion that they do and they get mine and i shake the hand of anyone in blue i see or salute anyone when i'm running and i see them driving by and i'm happy to buy them their coffee when i see them at my coffee shop because i i i know what they have to go through I've done drive-alongs, ride-alongs. I've worked with them on a lot of different projects, particularly in schools. I don't think I've met a one that would have acted like those in Uvalde, not a one. But those in Uvalde, there needs to be accountability. Accountability, Henry Olson's onto a bigger point here. There is no ethos of accountability in this country anymore at all, none, zero, I mean, think about what Joe Biden said with regard to the death toll of COVID on Donald Trump's watch, 220,000 deaths. You shouldn't be, you're you're disqualified to be president. That's fine. If that's the standard you want to suggest, what do you do when that number becomes 600,000 on your watch and you say nothing and take no accountability yourself? How are we supposed to think accountability matters in government at all at that point? I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Can we keep that in there? And and the end part, can we do an out with it too? I love that. That song just got me going. I was I was run, uh, on my run today. Um, I was trying to get a, a personal record. I missed it by that much. But, uh, but in doing so, I was thinking what music could help me get there. A lot of my running friends listen to podcasts. I have no idea how they do that. I need the, I need the energy. I need the motivation. And I, I, yeah, a little D. Snyder. I played that song three times on my run today to get my sub 
nine miles in. Um, welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. There are a lot of interesting aspects to this story. Yeah, one of my listeners uh, wrote in uh, that, that right. Our, our concern and our deep sadness, disappointment, and yeah, in some cases, appropriate and righteous anger about the police holding back is he writes, a feeling of betrayal of the trust and support we give the police. That's right. That's right. Now, I, um, I'm i not schooled in uh, in tactics at all. I, I'll just admit that right off right off the bat. You're, if you want a tactician uh, who is an expert in policing, um, I'm, I, please call in if you are one. I'm not one of them. But I have done some reading in the last couple of days about the notion of immediate action, rapid deployment, and what is expected of uh, police when they arrive on the she- scene of an active shooter situation, an active shooter emergency. There's a lot of information out there, but you read everything I have read, everything I have read, and, you know, different police, um, different police departments and precincts have their own, have their own policies and their, ho- their, own, um, their own procedures. What's interesting is if you read them, a lot of them seem to be taken from the same document and I, I know what document that is and that's okay it's fine I mean it, the, it, if the uniformity works great um, but one of the things that they all seem to say is uh, in the rapid deployment uh, scenario is that the police the first to respond uh, is to stop the shooting as quickly as possible and then on almost everything I've seen it then says the first responding officers will normally be in teams of four. They will not be the first teams to deploy first aid and help the wounded, which tells me that's the job, and we get it in the rest of these policy and procedure manuals, of those who come on the scene afterwards. The first first responders' duty is first there, first in. That's what I distill from all of this. That's what I distill in all of this. Interestingly enough, the Department of Homeland Security, the Federal Department of Homeland Security, has a manual on active sh- – it's an active shooter booklet. And it's uh, written not for law enforcement uh, but for, uh, for citizens. And it's what you do if you're, you know, if you're in an active shooter situation. And it has uh, three stages, evacuate if you can, two, hide out if you can, and then if – Neither of those are working or are feasible. Third, take action against the active shooter. To the citizen, as a last result, and only when your life is in an imminent danger, yeah, well, when wouldn't it be in an active shooter situation? But I'm just reading you the DHS manual. As a last resort and only when your life is in immediate danger, attempt to disrupt and or incapacitate the active shooter by acting as aggressively as possible against him or her. Well, what would be the equivalent? What would be meeting force with force? What would be as aggressively as the shooter? How would you react as aggressively against the shooter? If the words mean anything anymore, it means you too would have a gun. That's what it means. Or someone on the premises would have a gun. There was massive failure all around here. The governor was um, – the governor, uh, Greg Abbott, was livid today when he learned he was – misled about the scenario 
originally from the law enforcement in Uvalde, rightfully so. Disgustingly so, I have to tell you, he did another press conference today and people were using it as in a political theater. We're trying to get the facts out here. We're trying to do. De- then there's this other element. You know, there's the NRA conference. Have you heard about it? The NRA conference is pay- that, that is taking place in Texas. And there was speculation that people would pull out. Some have. Some of the speakers have pulled out. The entertainers have pulled out more so than the speakers. It's a funny CNN story. High, high, uh, it said, uh, high, uh, what was their phrase? Uh, I'll get it in just a second. Yes. Well-known speakers pulling out, including Lieutenant Governor Deval Patrick and Governor Greg Abbott. Well, they're giving taped responses. I'm not going to blame the governor and the lieutenant governor for not attending a conference when they're dealing with all this stuff. You know, if it were a week from now, okay, then, yeah, maybe they should keep the commitment. But why wouldn't you go to this conference? I'll just say this. bears repeating, I think. And if anyone knows differently, again, gosh knows, I am not the expert here on this stuff. I am not. I admit it. I read a lot about it, and I have some involvement here and there on the margins with some of this stuff, but a lot of you are much more expert than me. But again, if you can find me an act, a, um, a, ma- a, mass, a mass a mass murderer, a mass shooter who is a member of the – has been, was a member of the NRA, then I think the NRA does have something to think about or maybe investigate of itself or involve in some introspection with itself. Especially if it's more than one. One off, maybe not even. But there isn't one. There isn't one, and I'll say it again. People that are not part of the culture of the Second Amendment, gun ownership or at least even gun usage, people who are not of that culture do not understand what the NRA is, and they do not understand what goes on in selling of guns. They just don't understand how seriously the NRA and gun retailers are about how serious they take, how serious it is what they are engaged in. NRA, first and foremost, is about training and safety. Training and safety, more than anything else, that is what they are about. More than anything else. Their lobby is a shell of what it used to be, by the way. This idea that there's this uh, this behemoth lobby that stops all that can stop any legislation anyone wants them to stop. Those days are long gone. The NRA is not like it used to be in that sense. Whether good or bad, we can discuss as well. I'm just saying this notion that it is, you know, the most powerful lobby or in Washington. It just isn't anymore. If it ever was, if it was top five and it might have been, it's not anywhere like that now. It just there's been a lot of problems and issues that have diminished its 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 puissance. That having been said, yeah, um, gun owners too. Uh, excuse me, gun retailers as well. You ever go into a gun store? It's one of the safest places because you're walking into a place where everyone knows you are dealing with things that are dangerous in and of themselves. They're the most careful people with guns. NRA members, NRA officers, NRA trainers, NRA members, gun retailers. Be right back.
Boy, at the end, the haunting of those lyrics where he says, don't bother, they're here. Send in the clowns, don't bother, they're here. You ever uh, go into the uh, produce section of the grocery store, which is Bill's second home, you notice all those vibrant colors of fruits and veggies. <laughs> there are a lot of different colors. And those colors you see in the produce section equals nutritional variety. Different colors signify different key ingredients. If you eat only your favorite one or two veggies, you're missing a whole world of vital nutrients. Enter balance of nature. Each daily dose is made up of a blend of 31 different fruits and veggies. 31. Because variety equals vitality. Give your body everything it needs with Balance of Nature. And for a limited time, all new preferred customers will receive an additional 35% discount and free shipping on your first Balance of Nature order. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. That's balanceofnature.com. They're fruits and veggies. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Another listener emailed in saying, I think in addition to the poor and non-existent leadership in this and other police departments, much like the military, there's a zero-defect mentality, a fear of making mistakes. On top of low morale, since the police have been dumped on for two years now, thus there's a hesitancy to step up and take the initiative. That's absolutely right. Uh, Heather MacDonald did not invent the phrase, the Ferguson effect. That was actually invented by the chief of the St. Louis police in the wake of the uh, Michael Brown uh, shooting. But... Uh, but but it's 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 of course even Mayor Rahm Emanuel of Chicago when he was mayor of Chicago blamed the Ferguson effect on rising crime. Uh, absolutely, there is that 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 is at play. That is absolutely at play. My friend Josh Hammer over at Newsweek was tweeting about when did law enforcement in this case? Okay, I don't want us to think we're doing this to all, speaking of all law enforcement or not. We're talking about in this case. He said, when when did law enforcement become so sissified? And I sent him pictures of National Guard member after National Guard member after National Guard member in city after city taking bended knee and kneeling with the Black Lives Matters protesters. And I, yeah, you, it's, uh, police did it too. Police did it too. I, it's it's an interesting philosophical conundrum, isn't it? What are you protesting against when the people you're protesting against are on your side and joining you? What wall are you pushing against when they are on your side? What is the side? There is no side. Sides usually require at least two. When they're on your side, what are you pushing against? This has been our concern. We've seen it in the military, not just the National Guard. The rest of the military. Why does the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who is still the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, testify before Congress that, of course, he reads Marx and Lenin. No one reads Lenin. He didn't read Lenin. It was a lie, but he said it anyway. Of course, he reads Marx and Lenin to better understand Americans. Why would he read Marx and Lenin to understand Americans? It makes no sense. They twist themselves into pretzels to hide, to hide and conceal, or at least to disorient towards some legitimate reason or some legitimately acceptable reason as to why they give such credence to such philosophies. That goes to accountability, too. That goes to accountability, too. 
I don't know. I don't know what we're going to learn from this. I hope not all the wrong things. I hope not all the wrong things. But we're already missing it. We're already missing it. There's an op-ed in today's Wall Street Journal talking about how Republicans could do a better job of addressing mental health problems, even though they seem to talk about it only when there's a shooting situation. That's a lie. It's a disgusting lie. And I want to read you the sentence this writer wrote because it's got so many layers of misunderstanding in two sentences that I just can't let it stand, nor can I stand reading it. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. If you're looking for a remarkable investment opportunity with a great return, check out my friends at Y-Refi. They are my friends. I've spent a lot of time with them. Y-Refi is in the business of helping people dig out of debt, doing their best to dig out of debt, and helping them do it the right way by doing the right thing, which is to pay off their debts, helping them do so with dignity and getting all kinds of additional benefits, including their improvement of their FICO scores. What they are offering is a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm, as I say, run by really good people who are really doing very well by helping others, and you can be too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y dot com, or call them at 855 316 3087. Local company, you can visit them. Make sure if you do, tell them I sent you. Okay, uh, 602-508-0960 is our number. Yeah, so there's an op-ed in today's uh, Wall Street Journal on this mental health piece. And the author, (coughs) excuse me, I don't know the author, but the author is saying that um, while mental health is so important, it's a little tiresome that Republicans only seem to talk about it in the context of a mass shooting. It's a slander. It's not true. I mean, how many mass shootings have we gone through uh, in the last, I don't know, four years, Bill? A few. A few. How many times have I talked about mental health on this show? A thousand? A thousand? I don't know. But listen to this. uh, Listen to what this... um, what this writer, uh, how this writer puts it. Let's see, did I lose it? I may have lost it. Nope, I got it. He writes, it's not as if Congress can't come together and both sides can't come together to do something about this. Mental health should not be a partisan issue. And one example of this was the 21st Century Cures Act passed overwhelmingly by Congress and signed by President Obama in December of 2016. Now listen to this, quote, It created a new assistant secretary position to oversee the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, a federal agency long gone astray. The new law also facilitated state-level expansions of assisted outpatient treatment, one of the most reliable community-based programs for destabilizing people with serious mental illness. It created a new assistant secretary position. You bet it did. You bet it did. And that very first assistant secretary was someone named Eileen McCants-Katz, who's been on this show a few times. 
And when we quoted her, and only quoted her because I was told during COVID that we could only quote government sources if YouTube were not to censor it. So I just, she's a government source, I would assume, a secretary, assistant secretary of substance abuse and mental health. Quoted her verbatim on school closings, risks to children during the school closings and COVID remediation efforts. They censored that, too. In other words, they censored her, too. So don't lecture us. Don't tell me. Don't tell lecture conservatives that we don't take this stuff seriously. We were taking it more seriously than anyone else. I'll tell you one thing we damn sure weren't doing. We weren't censoring them. We weren't censoring these experts like the left was because it ran against the narrative that YouTube knew better. YouTube knew better. By the way, it's not as if she was exactly a political appointee. She had a Ph.D. in psychology and an M.D. in psychiatry. Epidemiology, not exactly a slouch. She knew the bulk of the issue, one might say, and better than anyone else. So don't lecture us about, you know, part-timers or latecomers to the mental health issues. Remember the shooting in Colorado? Three years ago, the shooting in Colorado. And there was a memorial service. And the leftists showed up to take it over to do an anti-gun rally. And the students walked out. But they didn't walk out silently. You know what they walked out shouting? Mental health, mental health. The students were shouting it to the left that took over a memorial service for a dead student in a Colorado shooting. Again, Don't tell us we're the part-timers. Don't tell us we're trying to exploit this as a distraction. We've been on this. You've been censoring us. And you've been taking us down the left-wing hole to exploit it for your purposes. Uh, You know, it hurts me to see these musicians that have pulled out of the NRA convention. It just, it's, why, why, why? The NRA had nothing, zero Absolutely null set to do with this. I'll say it again. I just it's interesting that we we try to build these boogeymans and it makes no sense. All right, I had quoted Heather McDonald. You want to have an uncomfortable conversation? You want to have a serious let's have an uncomfortable conversation. Heather McDonald gets to one today in the New York Post. Guns are the leading cause of death among children, new CDC statistics show. But while the horrific massacre in a Texas elementary school rightly outrages the nation, such mass shootings are not the primary reason for that grim statistic. Don't conflate the two. Yes, guns are the leading cause of death among children. It's not from mass shootings. Most young people killed by guns are shot in gang violence or other crimes, which has only gotten worse since the race riots in 2020 and their long anarchic aftermath. Great phrase, anarchic aftermath. Homicides of youth between the ages 10 and 17 rose 47% in 2020. That's nearly 50. Think about that. Think about that. A nearly 50% rise in homicides of youth between the ages of 10 and 17. Schools were closed, by the way. Schools were closed, so you know it wasn't that. That 47% increase far outpaced the record-breaking 29% spike 
in post-Floyd homicides across all age groups in 2020. Got it? There was a 30% spike across all age groups in 2020, 47% increase for those aged 10 to 17. Now the uncomfortable part. Maybe you get here when the movement charged with dealing with this is engaged in fraud. Maybe maybe, maybe self-enrichment and fraud, like Patrice Coulors was. But black youth between the ages of 10 and 17 were killed at 11 times the rate of white youth in 2020. Not by cops. None of those black deaths was protested by Black Lives Matter activists, virtually none of them, since the victims were what? Killed overwhelmingly not by police and not by whites, but by fellow African Americans, and thus did nothing to advance the narrative about lethal white supremacy because it wasn't the cause. They weren't talking about it. The cause isn't black lives The cause is blaming someone and not just someone, but white police. And they weren't the cause of the spike. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson show. Heather McDonald's point is the subtle racism about not caring about every life and not caring about the devastating death, homicides of black lives that don't fit the liberal narrative. They're no less dead. In fact, they're more so because the focus on the left, the focus that the left wing narrative had was the wrong one. That was not the issue. If you cared about black lives, the carnage is out of sight, out of mind for most of the country. If these children had been white, she writes, there would have been a national revolution. You bet. We talked about that with missing, uh, Missing girl, white missing girl syndrome, right? The media ignore the routine killing of black children just as assiduously as the race activists do. And for the same reason, they were not mowed down by alleged lethal white hate. In fact, the lethal white hate narrative that has entranced Democratic politicians and the press for the last two weeks is false. Blacks commit hate crimes nationally at more than twice the rate of whites. In New York City, blacks commit hate crimes at 2.43 times the rate times the rate of whites. The killing will not stop until the family and cultural breakdown that drives it is confronted head on. As then candidate Barack Obama observed in 2008, we quoted him on this yesterday, too many black fathers are ignoring their children and abandoning their responsibilities. Boys grow up without learning impulse control and respect for authority. Those are two things you should remember that fathers can do. Good fathers are there for Where else do you learn about impulse control and respect for authority? Well, you learn about it from fathers in the animal kingdom. I'll share with you a story out of South Africa on that that's kind of interesting in the next hour. You don't want boys growing up without learning impulse control and respect for authority. The intact biological family is the best form of crime prevention because it is the best way to socialize children. That fact, however, breaks a number of taboos and so forms no part of our cultural discourse. Until family is restored, policing is the second best solution for saving lives, all lives, black or white. Too bad President Joe Biden again regurgitated the fiction this week that law-abiding black Americans are at a daily risk of their lives from the police. It's a fiction, and it's a fiction 
that will only cost more black lives. When <clears throat> when conservative social scientists disagree with the liberal narrative, understand why we do so, because we care about the problem, too. And the focus on what isn't the problem will create more of the problem. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 